0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 15 of the Average Two Elite podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lowe, and today we are looking at your ultra fast recovery strategies. So, essentially, after you've finished a very difficult and depleting um, session, event, or game, how can we be at our best within a 24 to 48 hour period? So, we're really looking at how to restore Uh, your performance capacity and essentially just return normal physiological functioning so again you are not overly sore you're not depleted you're not dehydrated and you're going to be performing at your best when it matters the most so there's loads to cover today and without further ado let's get into today's show So as previously mentioned on the show, um, when we look at maximizing performance, it really comes down to two key priorities: being hydrated or being u hydrated, so I not dehydrated or not overhydrated, and also having your glycogen stores within the liver and the muscle topped up. So whenever we look at performance we're also about fluid and carbohydrates. So essentially, when we're looking at recovering and being our best for the next session, we're really sort of playing on these two key areas. Now, when we look at your recovery strategies, it very much depends on three things. Uh, one, the type of exercise you're doing. Two, the difficulty and level of exhaustion or depletion. And three, the time frame. So a lot of people ask me, you know, how do I recover from X, Y, Z session? You know, if you're doing like a bro kind of bodybuilding type session and you're doing three sets of 15 tricep kickbacks and getting a good pump, um, you know, you really don't have a recovery demand there. It really isn't much at all. I'm talking about if you have just played a game of football, a game of rugby, you've just done a marathon, you've just done a hundred mile bike ride, all these kind of big, um, you know, stressful events to the body, this is what I'm really talking about here. Um, So when we look at the sort of the main areas with regards to the uh, principles, uh, it's very much dependent on like the level of exhaustion again. So if you did, you know, a few sets in the gym, you know, you're not going to be overly dehydrated. Um, You know, glycogen stores in the muscle and liver aren't going to go down so much. So we don't really have any urgent recovery demands. Likewise, if you just done, you know, a 7, 125 mile bike ride, you done half a marathon, you played a game of football, rugby, you now your glycogen stores are going to be pretty low. You would have had, you would have lost a lot of fluid during that uh, event or session as well. So your recovery demands are actually going to be very quite big. And likewise, the time frame, you now we're looking at your acute recovery strategies here today. So this is you being at your best within a twenty-four hour period. Um, you know, if you you know, if you do a uh, or should we say if you have a game of rugby and you're not playing for another seven days, your next training session isn't for another sort of four to five days, your recovery strategies aren't that urgent. But if you are, you know, if you've had a really difficult and demanding rugby game on a Saturday and you're back in training on a Monday and it's going to be a tough day, it's like, okay, we probably need to look into this in more detail. If you're doing a cycling event and you know, you got um, you know, say 50 to 75, 100 miles every single day, okay, you're using exactly the same muscle groups within a 24-hour period and your recovery demands are actually very, very high. So there's a lot of context when it comes into the whole recovery um, strategies here. So what I'll talk about today are, should we say, if you are, you know, very depleted, and dehydrated, how we can um, you know, rescue this so you're gonna be fully topped up going into the next session or event. Uh, if you're doing anything that's with regards to difficulty, we can adjust these guidelines downwards um, so you don't actually need to fully uh, implement everything, but you still need to be th- um, using this level of thinking and understanding with regards to your own uh, nutrition programming. So, when we look at uh, our recovery strategies, then it really is the two hours of recovery. You may have heard me speak about the three hours of recovery, but I'm going to keep protein off the list for today, um, which I'll cover uh, later on in the podcast. But the two main hours of recovery that we're going to look at are your replenishment and your rehydration, so carbs and fluid. So, if you look at replenishment to start with, so this is your carbohydrates your total daily intake is still the number one priority here. How many carbohydrates are you having within a 24 hour period? That's really gonna dictate how replenished you're going to be the next day. And also, we know that glycan replenishment can only be optimized when you're at calorie maintenance. So if you've burned 4,000 calories, you have to consume that 4,000 calories back. If you're in a calorie deficit, Collection replenishment is not going to be optimized i.e the tanks are never going to be topped up to the place where you need them to be going into that next session so this is why calorie deficits and fat loss phases during performance phases are are not conducive in the slightest. So if you are in a fat loss phase and you have really high um, training and recovery demands, you know, we really got to think about your approach and the whole periodization to your week and to to your year essentially. Um, because if you've got congested fixtures, like many people will have now, um, so sort of post-COVID when uh, the, you know, the season's restarting, it's probably not the best time to be in an aggressive fat loss phase cause your recovery is not gonna be optimized in the slightest. So long story short, when it comes to optimal performance and optimal recovery, we cannot be in a calorie deficit, we have to be at calorie maintenance so we're meeting the body's demands. Now, once you're eating the right amount of calories for that day, and you're most likely gonna be eating the right amount of carbohydrates for that day, we can then look at the nutrient timing. Now, nutrient timing has kind of been here, there, and everywhere with with regards to sports nutrition. Um, You know, initially it wasn't important, then it was really, really important, and then it kind of got pushed aside saying like, nah, it's not really that important, where I'm here to tell you for athletes looking at glycogen replenishment or optimizing glycogen replenishment, um, it is very, very important because we know that uh, your glycogen replenishment is something called biphasic in nature, is in two parts. Now, the first part, which probably lasts about four hours, about three to four hours, is um, essentially a period where we can get accelerated rates of glycogen replenishment. So, if you imagine, if you finish that marathon, if you finish that bike ride, um, as soon as you kind of finish, really, that first three to four hours is a op- really opportunistic period to accelerate recovery because we know that once um, that first four hours is over your glycogen replenishment drops off by about 50 percent now this doesn't really matter too much again if you're not competing or training to a, a high level within the space of like you know three four five days it doesn't really matter too much but if you got a 25 turn around and we know that we can accelerate glycogen replenishment to a very high extent in this first four hours we really have to take advantage of this so it's not, you can't just think of, okay, total daily intake, that's cool. I'm just going to chill for four hours after my bike ride or after my game, get my feet up. And then I'm just going to have a super big meal before I go to bed. That's, yes, it will help, but you're not optimizing recovery. So this is all about optimal, right? So we really need to, again, take advantage of this first four hours. So think about your total um, carbohydrate budget for the day. So, for example, you need 600 grams of carbohydrates for that day. Let's take a big chunk of that 600 grams of carbohydrates that you were going to have after, um, in sort of like the half a day after you finish that event, and let's try and concentrate uh, quite a bit within the first four hours. Now, we know that glycogen replenishment, optimal rate of glycogen replenishment once you are depleted, is about 1 to 1.2 grams of carbohydrates per kilogram that you waive. No, every hour for the first three to four hours. So for a 70 kilo cyclist, this is going to look something like anywhere between 17, 84, 85 grams of carbohydrates per hour. So imagine you finish your race or that event or training session, you get in a carbohydrate um, sort of dose wait 60 minutes, have another one, wait 60, have another one, wait another 60, have another one. So it is a lot of carbohydrates within a short period of time. So you're really looking to try and drip feed it throughout um, these first four hours. Yes, you can do, a, like say, a bigger carb meal uh, straight after, wait two hours, have another one, wait two hours and so on. Um, but what's perhaps been shown in the research is that perhaps evenly distributing it is going to um, offer superior rates of replenishment now if we think of how many carbohydrates this is you know you're looking at you know four to 4.6 grams per kilogram of carbohydrates within four hour period that's a shit ton of carbohydrates and again this is for if you are completely um depleted and you need to be at your best in the 24-hour period this isn't for the person who's done a chilled out session you know a bit of a down session this is from depletion now we still Uh, perhaps use this way of thinking in terms of periodizing our carbohydrate within our day. However, uh, we don't have to go, you know, full uh, replenishment. We just take um, the key kind of points from this. Now, when we think of food choices um, in regards to carbohydrate food choices, you know, we actually have to be quite clever here again like you're not going to have potato every hour on the hour. You know, there's too much food volume there and that's going to suppress your appetite and therefore affect how much carbohydrate you can get in. So I just like to approach it from like a um, three source approach. You know, you've got your, uh, solid food, semi-solid and liquid forms of carbohydrates. So you may finish that event. Appetite might be a little bit suppressed. Uh, we know this happens after intense exercise. So you might throw in, uh, some liquid form of carbohydrates and then you know you chill out get all these kits sorted you know get in the car travel home what have you then when you get back then an hour later you have like a solid meal when the appetite is returned and then you may have like a carbohydrate rich snack so that's semi-solid uh, an hour later and then you might go in for like another solid meal again so always think of like energy density foods here or should we say high energy density foods because if you're going for low energy density foods, i.e., not many carbohydrates per hundred grams, think of, you know, a potato again, for example, loads of food volume, not many carbohydrates. Where if you think of like haribo, you know, you're gonna get actually a actually ton of carbohydrates here for not much sort of food volume. So you can actually get this in a lot better, and that's gonna help you hit a higher carbohydrate intake. So these last these are those periods where Healthy isn't always optimal. You know, as long as you hit that carbohydrate quota, then that's absolutely fine. You know, I don't mind this is where, like, you know, if it fits in macros type of approach well, kind of works well. Um, just kind of re- thinking back to one study when they compared, you know, a McDonald's versus your guest sport-specific foods, you know, your gay trades, your protein bars, all that kind of stuff. You no, know, both had the same amount of carbide rates, the same amount of sodium fluid and everything. And um, the rate of glycogen replenishment was exactly the same. And their subsequent performance was exactly the same as well. So it is really a case of personal preference when it comes to this. Um, obviously, I don't need to be tanking in McDonald's and shit like that after every single session or after every event. But, you know, if um the social occasion allowed for it then you no know, you can factor that kind of stuff in and knowing that it is actually going to improve glycogen replenishment um by all means you perhaps got the higher fat kind of content there as well which can perhaps suppress appetite a little bit and obviously um you know if you do it over time you know it could just be a little bit too much of a calorie load there but again what this has kind of shown is that the carbohydrates you or should we say the source of carbohydrates doesn't matter too much as long as you can get them all all in. So just to recap on that, it really is a case of you know replenishment is still a matter of total daily intake of both your calorie intake and then your carbohydrate intake. but then within that carbohydrate budget you have for that day, it makes sense to try and put a decent amount of carbohydrates straight after your sessions, especially in that first four hours, because you know we're going to get accelerated rates of recovery. And then we could perhaps be a little bit more chilled with our food intake later on that day. Um but again, this is really dependent on the level of depletion and the proximity of next session or event. Um, you know, most of the times we don't need this, but it's some scenarios with events um that are very sort of demanding and you do have a short proximity between session A and session B or event A and event B and so on. And we know that glycogen stores in the muscle um, are your carbohydrate availability. You know it can be rate limiting to your performance and overall success. So we need to make sure we start the following day uh, or 48 hours after with the glycogen stores topped up. The next area we look at then is your fluid intake, so rehydration. So we know that um, being in a dehydrated, dehydrated state is going to quite dramatically impair performance. So we know that dehydration of 2% and above, a 2% loss in your body weight via water uh, through sweat can essentially increase cardiovascular strain, increase core temperature, uh, increase your fatigue and like perceived exertion, so your um, RPE, and it can increase your heart rate. And then if you lose more than 2% of your body weight, which is definitely possible, um, you can have a decline in your mental focus, your cognition, your skill level, aerobic capacity, strength and power, all that kind of stuff does um, go south quite considerably. And we know that when um, we kind of translate this into performance, what's being seen is an eight to 11% decline in running performances. So ultimately, we do not want to be starting the next session or event in a dehydrated state now i know and i can very much appreciate that some sports um you're not going to be able to meet the body's demands directly i because of um uh, just logistics really say for example football rugby team-based sports uh you're not going to be able to meet the body's demands you have to wait for like stoppages in play and you know you're always going to have that mismatch there or sometimes if you're competing or training say cycling, marathon running, and a temperature is very high and sweat rates are very high as well, um, you know, sweat rates are going to exceed the amount of food you can actually um, absorb and retain. And so ultimately, you're going to be de- dehydrated at the end of that event. Now, it's our priority to make sure we get adequate fluids in um, within the hours after to make sure you don't start the next session dehydrated. So there's kind of like this argument of, you know, should we just drink the thirst or, you know, does it have to be a little bit more prescriptive? So for general population with no real training demands, you know, you can just drink the thirst. It's absolutely fine. There's no problems there at all. Um, and when we think of fluid intake, this is yes, your water, but it's also your teas and coffees, it's your food and stuff like that. And yes, the fluid uh, found and, uh, yeah the fluid found in food um does contribute to about ten to twenty percent of your daily intake, so you know we can still count that as well so for general population, you just drink the thirst, but we know that athletes um you know you, you really do suck at uh, drink no thirst research has shown this quite uh quite nicely where you only really um on average replenish or replace seventy percent of the fluid that you've lost. So it's like, okay, that's probably not great because if you do 70% after every single session, you can have this big accumulation by the end of the week or in the space of a few days. And, you know, you're going to be starting your next session well under that 2% kind of cutoff. So we definitely don't want to be there. And by I mean, this 2% cutoff is, you know, on average, some people have these impairments uh, with lesser sort of dehydration where some people you know they can actually go way beyond two percent dehydration and not feel any sort of negatives so you know just uh don't take that uh two percent cut off as sort of like you know set in stone is more like a, a rule of thumb should we say um so how how do we know how much food we've actually lost in our session like how, how do we actually know this so the simplest way of testing this is really just weighing yourself before and after a session or event, and that's really going to dictate the amount of food you need to replace. So, say for example, you start at start a event at you know eighty kilos, um, and then you do your event, your cycling, your mouth running, your rugby game, so on, um, and then you jump on the scales after and you rock up at seventy eight kilos. Now, okay, that's two kilos less. Unfortunately, this isn't going to be body fat. This is going to be fluid loss. Now, say for example, you consumed one liter of fluid throughout that event or race or ride. Um, you've actually lost three liters in total, but you've replaced one. So what we need to do is basically multiply, or should we say, we just need to play the 150% rule. So we need to multiply the that deficit by 1.5 so essentially you've the net loss is two liters so two kilos we times it up by 1.5 so therefore that is three liters and uh, we need to then have that over a five hour period which is averaging about 600 milliliters of fluid per hour what we want to do is try and again evenly distribute it over that period and drip feed it i don't want you to be necking in that three liters all at once because most likely you will not be able to retain it or it's just going to stimulate you in production and you're just going to go to the toilet quite a lot. So what we need to consider as well is that this um, rate of sweat loss is very much going to depend on the type of activity you're doing, uh, the intensity, the duration, and the climate conditions as well. So if you are doing events uh, of the same sort of nature and the same conditions and so on, that is pretty much a plug and play strategy. You kind of know. But if, for example, uh, the following week, you're doing the same event, but it's, you know, five, six, seven, ten 10 degrees colder, okay, that's going to affect sweat rates. Um, where likewise, if you're doing like a, you uh, measured your body weight loss for a cycle one week, then next week you're doing a, you know, a trail run or something like that, you know, this could be completely different. So these rates of sweat loss are specific to those current circumstances. You can't necessarily just um, replicate it. Don't get me wrong, it won't be far off, but if you really want to make sure you cross all the T's and dot all the I's, you'll probably do it for a variety of sessions just so you just so can see where we're at. So say, for example, triathletes I work with Will trial this for uh, a bike ride, a run, and a swim, weigh themselves before and after. And we got a good indication of rates of sweat loss in those sessions, given those intensities and so on. And therefore, we know what the rehydration strategy is after that session as well. Then, when we look at the type of drink, we probably want to avoid just having water. We probably need to add either electrolytes or carbohydrates to that as well. So you might have come across terms such as isotonic sports drinks, hypotonic sports drinks, hypertonic sports drinks. So this is essentially the amount of carbohydrates they have within that solution. Now we know that in some extreme circumstances, um, people can essentially die from drinking too much fluid and too much water so this is a form a term called hyponatremia which is essentially the blood sodium levels getting extremely low and essentially they become too diluted and you, it can be fatal in some extreme circumstances um, so what we want to try and do is add in some form of electrolytes in it to start with and we also want to put some form of carbohydrates in there too because that's going to offer better fluid retention and overall improved hydration status. So when we put this into action, we are very much going to relate this back to the carbohydrate section, that first four-hour period. So... I love having and suggesting things like chocolate milk, Yazoo's, and stuff straight after. You know, they're very palatable, They taste fantastic. Um, they offer, yes, carbohydrate, which ties into that first carbohydrate dose. Uh, we're also going to get fluid. I For that example, if you want to have 500 or 600 ml per hour, those bottles are, what, 400 ml? Pretty close. And you're going to get electrolytes and a little bit of protein in there as well. Now, when I say we don't have water... That's absolutely fine to have water alongside, like a meal, because that is actually going to be a hypertonic solution, um, because you're going to have, you know, carbohydrates and electrolytes within that food. So that whole mixture or solution is hypertonic in nature. So what we need to try and do is avoid perhaps having water alone, and perhaps just think of having a combination of carbohydrates, fluids, and electrolytes within that first four-hour period or until um, you you are fully hydrated or met that um, hydration quota that has um, been outlined by your pre versus post weigh-in. So right at the start, I talked about the three R's of recovery, and they are repair, replenish, rehydrate. We the rehydration and replenishment, but what about the repair? Now, why have I left this one out? So repair obviously being protein, and we know that once you have protein in adequate it stimulates muscle brain synthesis, which is uh, the process where we repair and remodel that damaged muscle tissue. So it comes back bigger and stronger, essentially. So why don't we want to have this in here? Well, first of all, we do actually want to have it in here, but the evidence is very unclear whether having protein straight after Um, that damaging bout of exercise or events or game is actually going to promote recovery and decrease muscle soreness within an acute period i.e. under 24 hours so when we look at ultra fast recovery it doesn't really make the list so to speak now we're always going to focus on hydration and fluid that being said we're still going to put protein in there because that is going to help initiate perhaps the longer term recovery of that muscle tissue um, and prevent sort of like maladaptation. So it's still very pragmatic to put protein in after um, your bout of exercise games and so on. In some scenarios, it can actually, the additional protein, the carbohydrates can accelerate glycogen replenishment. Um, But in this sense, we're really gonna be using it to look at the longer term recovery of the muscle it, just because it won't really affect how you feel within a 24-hour period. I know some people would think, I know I've had a lot of conversations surrounding this of, you know, I was super sore, you know, my legs are absolutely fucked. I just couldn't move. So I just actually just hammered in loads of protein. And then I felt class the next day. It's like, realistically, you, you that protein didn't have too much of an impact in that 24-hour recovery with regards to uh, muscle soreness. I know that DOM, so delayed onset muscle soreness is very much a case of you have decreased muscle function and capacity. Um, as its name sort of suggests, you get increased soreness and you get decreased force production as well. So protein won't necessarily have too much of an impact with that. But, so we're not really adding in protein in uh, straight after to promote that. However, we are adding protein in there for the long term Uh, remodeling of that muscle tissue so when we think of muscle soreness so you know exercise induced muscle soreness there's really two phases to this so you've got phase one which is essentially you know disruption to the muscle structure itself to the protein uh, within that muscle where the second phase is very much down to inflammation so phase one is yes, this is where dietary protein can help stimulate muscle protein synthesis, and we get this long-term adaptation to the muscle itself. But when we think of ultra-fast recovery to the muscle, we're thinking about uh, managing and controlling inflammation. So we know that in the secondary phase, this inflammatory response is really important. So we know that the inflammatory cascade is a vital process that essentially clears damaged tissues uh, and initiates tissue repair and adaptation. So we need this inflammation. But if we have too much inflammation, I when you know the exercise stress impairs timely return to training or competition, or perhaps detrimental to ad- adaptation, we need to put um, you know interventions in there just to dampen inflammation, so we can return to uh, competition and recover a little bit faster. So this is where. Um, you know, antioxidants and polyphenols can come into play. So things like cherries, blueberries, uh, pomegranates, uh, you know, cherries in the form of tart cherries, all that kind of stuff can be uh, very beneficial in decreasing inflammation and the production of, No reactive oxygen species, so oxidative stress. So, these kind of things are going to be very good for improving recovery of the muscle function uh, and overall performance whilst decreasing muscle soreness. But what we've got to watch with high dose antioxidant based supplementation is that if you have too much, it can dampen inflammation to a high extent and therefore remove. Uh, that sort of oxidative stress, that inflammation needed to drive adaptation. So, I like using these types of food products in high amounts after events and the games because the whole idea is that perhaps recover after a game and not necessarily to adapt. Where in the training week, I don't really like using these at all, just because um, our whole idea is to adapt and not necessarily recover although we do need recovery but the whole idea is to drive adaptation from training sessions so what i say is we don't particularly want to have these types of foods in super super high amounts straight after you are training the week if you're struggling to recover after your training sessions throughout the week and improve freshness 24 hours after it could be very much related to overall diet quality, you might be in too much of a calorie deficit, Uh, your macronutrient ratios might not be quite right, or it could just be a big thing that your training load management is really poor. You're just doing a little bit too much and you're exceeding your recovery capabilities. So I would look and address that first, but before looking into high dose antioxidant supplementation. Uh, But for after games, um, especially like rugby games, football games, you don't really know the nature of the game all too much until you do play. It. Some games could just be far more strenuous than previous, and this is kind of like a spike in load, and you're just going to get uh, a lot of soreness as a result. So... In this sense, we are just looking to put these foods, high in antioxidants, in after to decrease inflammation. Um, Hopefully not to the extent that we diminish uh, inflammation, we just wanna try and dampen it, so that recovery and overall muscle adaptation can um, take place. So we know from quite a few studies now that having um, things like tart cherries in high amounts uh, before and after events. So such as marathons, um, you know, if if you're doing some really high amounts of damaging exercise um, or strenuous exercise, you know, it can essentially accelerate muscle function and reduce soreness. You see reductions in indices of inflammation and and also positive effect on recovery. So what this has been um, shown, and I kind of use this quite a lot with athletes doing, say, one-off marathons, Ironmans, all that kind of stuff. I will suggest taking tar cherries perhaps three to four days beforehand and three to four days after to improve, uh, recovery that way. However, if you are a footballer, a rugby player, um, you know, you're not necessarily going to follow this approach just because your whole season will be a case of just having this high dose antioxidant. So tar cherries every single day and you will get very bored of it very quickly. Um, So I don't really recommend having it all day, every day throughout the season uh, to get the benefits from it. From that perspective, plus, if as we mentioned, it could potentially reduce um, adaptation if it over um, or should we say overly decreases inflammation. So it's probably not a good idea to have it every single day uh, throughout the season. So what I tend to do, again, this is anecdotally. There's no real sort of research to back this up. But after say a rugby game or football game. I would ha- suggest having a, a dose immediately after the game and then one before bed and then one the following day as well so you are in a better state um, going back into training 48 hours after. Now, there's no real sort of research about this stuff, but I kind of borrowed the way of thinking from these studies and applied it to more team sport-specific um, practices. Um, and it seems to work really well, anecdotally anyway. And as we know from um, the sleep podcast I did, We know that having tart cherries uh, before bed because they are high in melatonin um, can improve sleep quality. So that could be a contributing factor there to overall recovery as well. So we know that these tart cherries could be pretty beneficial um, I'm not going to say that everybody should just go straight away and have them, um, but they are a tool in a toolbox. So given that there's some uncertainty surrounding uh, the exact interventions regarding these polyphenol-rich foods, um, I really like the a sort of uh, conclusion from a recent research paper uh, that basically suggests that, or should we say quotes, that pragmatically a diet rich in polyphenols, i.e. fruit and vegetables, may be the best strategy to augment recovery from damaging exercise. So essentially, we can kind of get very good benefits uh, with regards to this perspective from just having a diet rich in fruit and vegetables, which again, is not sexy or glamorous, is quite frankly boring. So again, eat your fruit and vegetables. I would always recommend eight to 10 portions of fruit and veggies per day in a wide variety of colors. So, That is us for today, guys. I hope you found today's uh, podcast very useful and beneficial. Um, If you have any questions, queries, anything about that regarding this episode, just drop me a message in the comments below or just drop me a DM uh, on Instagram and I'll happily get back to you there. And again, if you did find this podcast valuable and useful, um, please don't forget to like and share uh, because it really does help me massively with regards to growing this podcast and reaching more people, more athletes, so I can have more impact on their performance and their sporting career. So guys, until next time, goodbye.